Welcome to the Fan Levitard Show. Like, subscribe, rate, review, follow the show on Twitter at Levitard underscore fan. I think we were all feeling inspired to dust off our old baseball cards and find some hidden gems last week after the Levitard Show had on a professional to appraise Greg Cody's card collection. And I was so inspired by the events of last week that I decided to reach out and get that same professional to appear on this podcast. So we are going to chat today with Tyler Holzhammer, the hammer, about Greg Cody's collection, the strangest card he's ever seen, and so much more. It's a really fun conversation, and if you liked his appearance last week on Levitard, you'll enjoy this episode. So with that, let's get into the interview. Sit back and enjoy. This is the Fan Levitard Show. All right, so I am really excited about today's guest here. We have the Director of Operations for Sports Card Investor, Tyler Holzhammer, though you may better know him as The Hammer. So, Tyler, first question, very important question. You good? I'm very good. How about yourself, Ty? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for asking. And you nailed that like a pro because a lot of people, when they come on the show for the first time and I ask them that, they just kind of give me this weird stare like, am I what? Am I? Yes. So thank you for nailing that off the jump. Um, so the real first question I want to ask... Um, I want to ask a question about the nickname that the show gave you. They started calling you The Hammer because your last name is Holes Hammer. And I just want to know if other people in your life call you the hammer and whether or not you actually like that nickname. So it is something from a standpoint of my family that I personally have not been called the hammer up till about until I start working at sports card investor. But my father, he was, he was named the hammer and, and sometimes they would reference me as the little hammer, but that was more of his friends. And I guess that was what his nickname was growing up. So a uh, funny story, once I get the sports card investor, there ended up being two Tylers on the team. So uh, Jeff Wilson, who's our uh, head honcho at sports card investor, he just decided we're going to call you the hammer. And uh, I had no problem, had no problem flying with it. So it's a big part of my last name. And uh, it's honestly, sometimes I chuckle when I see some other personalities that have it, uh, a nickname that's the hammer uh, because I don't see it in their last name. So it just makes me wonder maybe why why they're called that when maybe with my case, there's actually some sense behind it. Well, okay. So the hammer as a nickname is very intimidating. It it carries a lot of weight to it. Do you feel a lot of pressure to live up to that sort of nickname? Because looking at you just from this little headshot I've got here on Zoom, I wouldn't quite peg you as a guy who would be known as the hammer. I think of the hammer as like this big hulking bodybuilder guy, this very crazy intimidating. And I don't know if like below the shoulder here you're you're just secretly jacked or, or what's going on there but um do you feel that pressure to live up to such a cool nickname sometimes i do because to your point you know uh it's mostly been maybe known for, for for guys that are maybe a little bit bigger or i've even heard it sometimes in a sports betting world uh, people like to hammer bets per se so knowing that it's it's not necessarily a brand new nickname is something that is a little intimidating but the fact that it is a part of my last name and a part of who I am uh, makes me feel a little bit better about actually being being nicknamed it. Because at the end of the day, it is a part of my last name and, and it should make sense to folks why I'm called that. 
Well, I could ask you a million questions about being known as the hammer, but I need the hammer's opinions on cards and card collecting. And so I want to hearken back to last week when you had the pleasure, I guess I'll say, of appraising Greg Cody's uh, garage collection. And so just from the jump, like how did his collection compare to some of the other collections that you've seen in your time doing this? So his collection actually wasn't that, you know, wasn't as bad as I normally, you know, would see on a, on a normal, you know, work day per se, or somebody reaching out asking about, about their collection. Uh, most of the time you'll see folks thinking that they have an awful lot. And in reality, I have to be the one to break the news to them that, that, that they, they don't, you know, they don't necessarily have something that's worthwhile or even to the point where, you know, I, I appraised what, you know, what was shown to me at around, you know, $1,500 give or take. So I've seen some collections that don't even get, you know, near those sort of figures to the point where, you know, most of it could be, could be like, I, like I referenced the dollar pile. Like sometimes people will think they have a treasure chest worth and it's just like, mm. unfortunately these would all be in the dollar pile. If you went to a, you know, a trade show where it's a bunch of sports cards and sports memorabilia. So the fact that he had vintage baseball is a very good thing um, because it does hold value and uh, the fact that they were in decent condition for the most part, there was a few cards that um, like anybody who saw were written on and things of that nature, maybe had some creases, but for the amount of, of good hall of famers and all-stars he had and in the condition that they were in, I think it was an overall decent collection. So I have a question from something that you said in that answer. Um, you are the director of operations for Sports Card Investor, but from what you just said, it sounds like your sports or your business card should maybe have bearer of bad news as your official title because it sounds like you're going into people's garages and basically saying like, yeah, this is a pile of crap. <laughs> yeah, like I said, you know, eight times out of 10, that, that's mostly the case, but you know, that, that one or two times you were going to find something that is worthwhile. And I was, you know, dealing with a client today who had stuff that was worthwhile. And, and it's a great feeling to be like, you have, you know, a lot of really great stuff here. And um, it's just, uh, it's interesting because in hindsight, I, I think the Levitard show probably thought they had much more than, uh, than what I, uh, I appraised to them. Oh, I think uh, that that's that's a certainty. They thought they were sitting on a goal. Greg Cody had his eyes on retirement before you came in and undercut him. <laughs> exactly, and and one thing that I that I didn't have a chance to speak about to them on air, but I did afterwards was there is potential for him to you know to five six x on what those cards are now if he sends them in to get graded by PSA and to get authenticated. Because that's now what a lot of uh, a lot of the sports card world is. It's all about condition. It's about sending it in, and whatever rate in that scale they give you when you get the card back could make the card five to seven to eight x. So, for example, that Mickey Mantle that he wrote on that goes for about one hundred and fifty dollars. You know, in that condition, that if it wasn't written on in that condition, if somebody was to send in a card like that and it graded a seven. That card's going for about eight to nine hundred dollars. Oh wow! When it's certified that way, so what I would recommend for Greg to do is to send in some of those cards, the Hall of Famers, the All Stars, to get authenticated. Because if you know those cards that are a hundred to two hundred dollars are now nine hundred, a thousand, eleven hundred, and you have ten, fifteen, and twenty of them, it starts to add up. 
So in some cases, he didn't necessarily have that big, you know, that payoff. But if he was to continue to go down that hole and send those into grading and to try to get them back to be authenticated properly, it could, you know, massively make those cards worth a lot more and make them more desired because of that. So I'm glad you you referenced the Mickey Mantle card that he drew and wrote on because Billy today on their show was talking about um, what the value of that particular card would look like in its condition now with the only caveat of it also being autographed by a one Elton John. <laughs> so if I'm understanding the question correctly... Would that bring any more any more more value to the card if it was autographed by Elton John? Yeah. So you have this Mickey Mantle card that otherwise, in a in a fine world, not not written on or anything like that, it's in great condition. But then you take Greg Cody's Mickey Mantle card, you have his eight year old scribbles on it, but also then like on the back of the card is randomly an Elton John autograph, a verifiable Elton John autograph. What does that card go for? <laughs> Now, that might be a, a bit too out there necessarily to be able to, to put a pin price on that card. One thing within this hobby is perception. So there may be an individual who is a huge Elton John fan and a huge Yankees fan and a Matt Mantle fan, and he goes... Or Greg Cody fan. Yeah, I finally <laughs> found it. I found the Mickey Mantle with Elton John's autograph on it, you know, and may be willing to pay $100, $200, um, but for the most part, from a card collectible standpoint, most people would probably chuckle and go, why would somebody get a Mickey Mantle card signed by Elton John and not even on the front of the card? Um, so from that instance, it's a little bit too out there necessarily to be able to put a particular price tag on it. So that's an interesting concept, actually, the 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 concept that it could be too random of a thing. So like... Um, you couldn't, in theory, take a card that by itself is, you know, somewhat valuable, but then just have a bunch of random famous people sign this card and then just assume that the value of it is just going to skyrocket exponentially with every other famous person that signs it. That's what you're telling. It doesn't work like that? In most cases, no, it does not work like that, unless there is a very, very unique story behind it um, that's, you know, um, that a mass following is understanding that, okay, it's because there's a unique story behind this. But for the most part, no, most people would probably just scratch their head and go, why would they get this signed? And then why would they get it authenticated? Why would, why would they send that? Why would they send that in? You know? And that's, that's what I hear in most cases when uh, individuals maybe question why somebody decided to send a card in for grading or just seeing something that like, you know, like, did you happen to open up a pack of cards at an Elton John concert and, you know, somehow had VIP seating and, and was able just to go, you know, hey, you know, can you sign this? So um, in most cases, you know, it's going to be really random. It's really, you know, the eyes of the beholder kind of thing situation where if there's a fan that would be willing to pay for it because it's so unique, then they would. Have you ever personally experienced a card like that or something or like a, a piece of memorabilia that is so unique that you can't help but just kind of scratch your head and go, why does this exist? Why does this person have this? So I, I can give you one from an actual like a card standpoint from the manufacturers. So I remember as a kid going into the card store and getting a, a pack of 2007 tops. And I remember my dad got one too and he pulled out the card 
And I'm like, this makes no sense. It is a card of Derek Jeter. And the way the picture is set up on the card, you can see the stands in the background, and then you can see the the other teammates in the dugout behind him. Well, directly in the stands, somebody on the manufacturing team for Tops decided to plop George Bush, who was the president at the time, just waving. And then speaking of Mickey Mantle, then they decided to add a photo of Mickey Mantle in the in the dugout, just just with a bat on his shoulder. And it was sort of a craze for a while in the sports card uh, hobby. And this card saw, you know, was going for two, three hundred dollars at one point because people were just so perplexed as to why this card was produced and why was I able to pull it out of a pack. Um, so that's one in particular that you know, it was a very unique and odd story. And in terms of the manufacturers decided to, you know, to print and run those. Hold on. We need to, we need to pump the brakes on this. Um, so are you telling me you pulled out a, a baseball card fresh out of the pack or your dad did of Derek Jeter, but this card was Photoshopped to, to include George, George W. Bush, George HW, which, which one? Cause I feel like this matters. Do you remember? Uh, it's the, it's the most recent, the one that was most recently president. I believe. Okay, so that's that's a W. Yeah, sorry, politics is not necessarily my uh, my forefront. <laughs> so, Photoshop George W. Bush and Mickey Mantle into the background of this. Inexplicably, is there any background on why this exists or or like the origins of this? I feel like someone needs to do the hard hitting research to figure out why this is a thing. And that's always been the head scratcher to me. Why, uh, you know, from what. I, I don't have anything necessarily concrete, but I, I do hear that it was maybe sort of a gag that one of the uh, one of the workers at, at Tops just decided to 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 do, and maybe didn't think nobody would notice. Um, and this isn't the first time that there's been error cards like that where the manufacturer has tried to slip something in. Uh, there's another card, not to get too off path, but an '89 Billy Ripken card, '89 uh, Fleer, and on the bottom of the knob of the back. You can see it says F U F face. You can cuss on this podcast, by the way. So don't worry about that. Uh, But so as you can imagine, uh, a lot of parents were very quick to take that card out of their child's hand. Um, And for a while, same thing, you know, kind of caused the craze in the hobby. The card was very, very uh, desired at one point. Uh, But now it's unnecessary. That's something that is as desired. But people obviously, you know, perked up their heads and they're like this you know this is so not what was supposed to be on this card so this is fascinating to me i did not expect to venture into this territory but this is fascinating um so i'm a big gamer and so i love finding little easter eggs hidden throughout games and it never once occurred to me that people working for tops or Fleer or any of these companies would just get bored and decide to hide little easter eggs in some of these cards how common is this this is wild to me that's the thing over the years within the hobby, you've seen error cards like this or error cards that maybe potentially somebody just decided to sneak something in. Um, so it's been around since, you know, any time, you know, I, I was just talking to my, you know, my dad a couple of days ago and he was telling me about a card where they, you know, they have the guy, you know, the photo was set up basically where he's a left-handed batter and he's not, he's a right-handed batter. So these error cards, and that might not have been something that was done on purpose, but it just seems like over time, there's been individuals that have, have been able to find these Easter eggs or, or errors, you know, within cards, which then has caused the value to go up. 
Um, and over time, as that cycle has sort of happened with, over different cards, I think the manufacturers realize that, you know, maybe we should stop doing this because it's also causing high fluctuation in the card prices, which we're not necessarily trying to do, you know, just based on a, a manufacturing mistake or, uh, you know, something that we decided to add in. So, okay, stay, stay with me here on this one. Because I think it would be awesome if they released a line of cards that were incredibly common. Like you have, uh, I guess, how many of a card needs to be manufactured for it to be considered common, roughly? A a lot. Um, Like uh, 50,000, 100,000, more, less? I would say maybe, I would say, I would say more than 50,000. It's very different on each set. Um, One reason, you know, the sports card hobby was very big in the eighties and nineties. And one reason why there was a kind of a collapse was because they were printing too many uh, to the point where it's not, you know, these rookie cards aren't necessarily rare anymore because there's 50 or a hundred thousand of them that are being printed. So, you know, how, you know, how valuable can it be if I'm pulling, you know, a Ken Griffey junior rookie out of every other pack of, of upper deck, you know? Yeah. And, from the uh, the authentication standpoint, people like to authenticate and or get their cards graded because it adds another level of scarcity to it compared to, to your point, you know, something where they could print 50, 100,000, maybe even more of just one particular rookie card of a player. So if, if let's say, um, so let's say they're printing like a, a Mike Trout card right now and they print 100,000 of these, but they make the explicit decision on one of these cards we're going to include an easter egg like we're gonna um i I don't i don't know like we're gonna put a man wearing a banana hat in the stands behind him if that card is one out of a hundred thousand for a player like mike trout what is that going to do to that type of card just given the fact that it is kind of like a joke card an easter egg card but also on like a really valuable player potentially it will it will definitely make the card rise in price because of the scarcity. Cause like you said, they only decided to print on one card. So it's in technically, which is a term used in the hobby, a one of one. Meaning, are there, are there a lot of one of ones? Are those co- easy to come across or not easy to come across? I guess, are those, uh, I guess more, more commonplace than I think I expect them to be. Yeah. Yes, in each set, there are particular variations that you can pull that are one of ones. So it's so and, and it's marked like you basically they have a serial number that's stamped on there that you can go, wow, it's one of one. So you're on the same track. It's just instead of them necessarily putting some sort of picture or Easter egg in it, they just kind of, you know, they just put a different chrome shine to it or give it like, a, you know, a new variation look and then put the stamp on the front of the back of the card to know okay, this is different than the normal one I can I can pull out of the pack. This one is a lot more shinier and, and, and has one of one on it. So clearly, you know, this one is a lot nicer than maybe just the, the 100,000 of the insert that they print. In your expert opinion, is a holographic card um, going to be more or less valuable than having a man with a banana hat thrown into the background of whatever card it is? From a, I would say, I would say, from a card collecting standpoint, probably not the banana hat one. Ah. Um, but 
to, to like I've said with a lot of this, it's all about, you know, it's the eyes of the beholder. It's all what they think is maybe worthwhile. And somebody like me or, you know, somebody who's a big trout fan who likes bananas or who just likes trout just might want that card compared to his hollow, you know, one of one that most card collectors or investors would rather have because it's, you know, stamped one of one and everybody knows what set it is, what card it is compared to having to have a little more story behind you know, the Easter egg card. What if it's Michael Sarah in a banana hat specifically, like his character from Arrested Development? Um, so <laughs> that's that's when we're venturing into the non-tradings, uh, non-sports. But, you know, like I said, there might be some Arrested Development, you know, some uh, some super bad fans out there that just, ha- just have to have that, you know. But um, I don't think there would really be any significant value for somebody of that nature. But there, you'd be surprised to see what people are paying for particular sort of novelty cards. I guess you can you can say, um, uh, what's his name, Portnoy from um, from Barstool. Mm-hmm. So he has a, a card in a in a particular baseball set that also um, has celebrities in it, and that autograph card of his is going for like like almost like a thousand dollars, maybe even more than that. Oh, wow. So that's a situation where when that card was first pulled, I think maybe the set is from 2013 or 2015 or something around that time. People probably didn't think it was going to be worth much, but since he's, you know, built up a bar stool and things like that, and he's done a lot of things for the community during uh, this past year, people now are starting to gravitate towards, um, towards his cards, or at least somebody discovered, oh yeah, that's right. He's in this set and he, he audit, he did autographs in the set. So, you know, it's, this seems like there's a lot of value in it, which is now why you're, you see cards like that over the course of time, start to start to pick up. I mean, and not even to, to go on to too long, but even something as of last night, I saw Elon Musk's, uh, business card, I believe from the nineties sold for $2,000, um, just a business card of his, um, you know, it wasn't written on, not, nothing like the nothing like a Greg Cody situation. It was in great condition, but it's not necessarily something that is a part of the sports card hobby. It's it's a card, it's a business card of of obviously, you know, one of the biggest entrepreneurs in Elon Musk. But there's just so much that can go into this hobby or just into into finding that sort of path on, hey, does somebody want a Michael Sarah, you know, with a card with a banana hat on? You know, in that particular case, probably not. No. But that individual who posted that Elon Musk business card probably thought, you know what? There's probably somebody out there who would want to pay a pretty penny to have one of Elon Musk's first business cards. Is that Elon Musk business card going to maintain its value when it inevitably explodes like everything else that man builds? <laughs> I, I I think it was it is going to continue to, to go up in price. I mean, I don't know how much, uh, you know, maybe an Albert Einstein business card worth. But, you know, just try to think back, you know, that's 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 essentially what I would do. I would research other successful, you know, businessmen or just successful people that were part of culture throughout, you know, the span of our time here and maybe see if, you know, those go for a premium. Because if they do, then there's no reason maybe why Elon Musk or Bill Gates, you know, could over time go for something, you know, within the thousands, which potentially maybe an Albert Einstein business card w- w- is going for right now, you know. Okay, I want to I want to stray away from the hypotheticals because I think I've I've run that uh, that train into the ground. <laughs> um, I want to know if you have any particular horror stories that stand out from 
um, any of your time being around amateur card collectors or doing appraisals, stuff like that, um, something like maybe stumbling across a really valuable or rare card that has just been mangled because some idiot decided to draw on it or it's crumpled up into a ball or something horrible has happened to it. So there is one uh, that I do remember. I remember walking down to this person's basement and going through a lot of their cards. And it was a mix of, you know, 80s and 90s basketball, baseball, football. And I remember looking to my right and seeing a dartboard and seeing a 86 Fleer Michael Jordan rookie, um, essentially where the bullseye is and just a bunch of holes in it God. as, and they just decided to use this card as a, as a, as a bullseye for the dartboard. So I asked the reasoning behind that. Um, and it had something to do with, he just didn't, you know, didn't like the bulls or something of that nature. Um, so that was one where I really had to take a deep breath and kind of, you know, <laughs> and kind of just not freak out, uh, because, you know, obviously for card collectors, they understand that that's one of the most, you know, uh, sought after cards. And the fact that, you know, he just decided to use it as a dartboard, uh, you know, use it as a bullseye, bullseye on a dartboard just totally crushed me and, uh, you know, made me uh, want to go back in a time machine and, and, and take that off. How how valuable is that card? How valuable are we talking there? I mean, raw, you're going, you were talking at least, you know, and maybe a condition that Greg, uh, Greg Cody's cards were in at least a couple thousand dollars. And now if you were to send that in for grading, uh, then, then you're getting into, you know, you're getting in a whole nother, you know, if it can get up, if it can get to a t PSA 10, which is the highest, and you're talking, you know, most likely in the millions Whoa. or at least, you know, um, and then from there, it just trickles down based, you know, on, on value or based on what the, what the, uh, what the particular grade is, the higher the grade, the higher it's going to be, which means the less of them there are because the better condition it's in. So, I mean, I believe there's PSA ones, which is the lowest, you know, I've seen PSA ones that have like, you know, really messed up cards. Like, yeah, they can get authenticated, but it's about as low as it can possibly be authenticated that those are going for, you know, 1000, 2000, depending on the hype of the market. So that's a card where it's like, you know, no condition, like even if it's in really bad condition, um, it's worth sending in to get graded and get authenticated. Cause at the end of the day, people just want to make sure that the card, you know, is real. And there was just like a gajillion holes in this thing. So it was the point where it just wasn't salvageable, which is probably why it was still on the bulletin board or, I mean, I was still on the, uh, the dart board. So, but that's just one of many times, you know, that was a little bit out there, but you see people who've put cards in their, uh, in the rims of their bikes so they can, so yes. they can make uh, make the flapping noise while it's riding. It's a great sound. Uh, yeah, people using um, you know thumbtacks and putting the card on their built-in board next to their report cards and stuff. Just you know, and and a, and a lot of the time people were doing this, they just didn't didn't have any idea that this stuff was going to be very sought after. Which is why I was pretty surprised to see Greg Cody's collection was in rather good condition. What do you make of, uh, you, you touched on it a little bit when you were on there, but the NBA top shot thing, um, what do you make of that, the market around it right now? Um, do you see that as being something that other leagues are going to adopt or is this going to become a, a thing or is this going to be kind of like a passing fad, you think? I think, I think it is something that's going to be here to stay. 
Um, I did not think it was going to be pick up as much steam as it really has. But I think what a lot of it is going to come down to is individuals, if they can wrap their, their brain around the fact that you can collect something that is digital or intangible, you know, which is something um, where the crypto world loves this because they're already accustomed to that sort of philosophy compared to sports card collectors who need the card in hand and need to touch it and need to feel it and things like that. So I don't think that it's going to go away because I do think that there is a market for it for people that like crypto or people that like to do sports betting and for people that like cards that don't necessarily have like to deal with shipping or them selling a card and somebody being like, there's a debt in it. I want my money back, you know, and things of that nature and, and fees from eBay and, and from PayPal and things of that nature. Um, and that's one thing that I was impressed with when I first got in, I got into NBA top shot, I think around the beginning of January and was just, uh, could see why people like it because of how fast the marketplace is. I can buy something and sell it and it's in my balance within the snap of a finger. So I do think, uh, it's going to be here to stay, but at the same time, I am keeping an eye out on their scalability and seeing how, you know, what changes they make as they continue to grow. Because uh, to your question, I do think it will be uh, in other sports as well, as they see this, you know, this explosion over the past, I would say 60 days or so. So I do think that there's room in the sports card hobby for both, you know, NFTs, uh, you know, Top Shop, something called Dibs that recently came out which is similar to Top Shop, but it's more based on fit, like backing of physical cards and then chopping them up into a bunch of different NFTs or shares. Hmm. Um, and then you can sell and trade those. So you'll start to see some more of companies like this come where you can just where you can just see, wow, the marketplace is a lot smoother. I don't necessarily have to buy a card and then have to wait a week in the mail for it to come, you know, or things of that nature. So um, one thing I would say to folks is just make sure you know who you're buying in terms of the moments for NBA Top Shot. Uh, like, you know, if you're getting guys that, you know, might not be relevant in two or three years, then, you know, it might not be the best idea. Obi Toppin, perhaps? And that's where <laughs> when I was talking to Mike. I said, you know, that's something where I necessarily wouldn't pay the kind of money people are right now for an Obi Toppin. Uh, he's on a Knicks team. I, I, I don't know the last time they won the championship or even in the playoffs. Um, and that usually correlates with player performance. So, um, you know, like some of the most of the top shot moments I have are guys like LeBron, Kevin Durant, you know, Steph Curry, players that are already established in that, you know, from my viewpoint, if this is going to do well, then these players will probably hold, you know, in terms of their value if this thing decides to take off. So I want to get you out of here on this because I have to imagine after hearing you on Levitard and hearing you on here, um, a lot of people are going to be sifting through old card collections that they may have had in their garage or basement or something like that. So for you, is there any advice that you can give to people who are dusting these things off for the first time in 10, 20, 30, maybe more years and, and looking to see if they have anything in there? Do you have any tips for, for a bunch of new amateurs that are now getting into this market? Yes, definitely. So from a from a player standpoint, you have like, you know, you got to know the players. You have to know at least which which are the Hall of Famers and which are the all stars, which are the guys, you know, that that you can still remember even years after they played, you know. So my first that would be my first suggestion to folks who are maybe diving back in into their lots or going into their garages and going through cards that they haven't necessarily seen in a long time. Make sure that you're getting, you know, the Hall of Famers and the all stars. And also make sure that you're getting the rookie cards out of there 
if there are rookies of, of those individual players. Um, that would be the first thing. There's about usually three things I like to tell people. The second is like I talked about with Greg and, uh, and the Levitard team is always is condition. So that's always going to have to do with the centering of the card. That's going to have to do with how the edges, how sharp the edges are and how sharp the corners are as well as surface. And that means by like, you know, making sure looking at the surface in the light, making sure there's no gashes or, or nothing on it, or maybe even like somebody drew something on it, but they erased it, but you could still see the indent from the mark of the drawing. So that would be my second um, suggestion for folks is just really make sure to look at those four areas when, when you're kind of evaluating your card to see, Hey, is this in good condition? And if it is, is it good enough to get graded? Um, the third I would say is, is that when you do have an idea of maybe what cards uh, that you think might be worth money, uh, one thing that, that I, that I do every day and that a lot of others do, uh, is, is to download the sports card investor app because we have a lot of pricing in there. So if you're curious to see what those cards are going for, that's something where you can type in the player's name and see if that card's in there and see the most recent sales in the past seven to 30 days to have an idea of, wow, this is cards really worth a lot of money or I don't see it on here. So it's most likely not, you know, something that might be worthwhile, but those are the three things that I usually recommend to folks when they are trying to get back into collecting or if they're brand new and they want to get back into it. Well, Tyler, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Finish up. (laughs) Not if they're getting back in, but if they're brand new and they, and they want to try it because that's, that's one thing that um, in terms of the craze during this past uh, you know, year is just the fact that there's so many new people coming in, which is why you're seeing prices escalate to how they are. Well, Tyler, Mr. Hammer, we really appreciate you coming on the show today, um, expanding your knowledge to us. Hopefully some folks out there who hear this, um, they can go and sift through some of their garages with a little more confidence now, know that if they find a rookie card, keep that thing away, dust it off, put it in a nice uh, plastic sleeve or whatnot. And, you know, hopefully um, you can you can help Greg eventually pay for his own retirement. Maybe he's got um, another good one hidden in there somewhere, like a little hidden gem. Um, I'm sure this won't be the last we will hear of you on the show. I have to imagine you'll be around a couple more times at least to to finish up that saga. So look forward to seeing how that plays out. And again, everyone download the Sports Card Investor app if you are interested in anything like this, because it sounds like it's the uh, the one-stop shop for, for all things sports card. So Mr. Hammer, thank you so much for, for joining us today. And uh, you have a good one. Thank you so much, Ty. I really appreciate it. All right. That was a lot of fun. A big thanks to The Hammer for joining us today. You can follow him on Twitter at tbolts09. That's the letter T-B-O-L-T-Z-09. And you can follow Sports Card Investor on Twitter at SportsCardINV. We'll be back with you again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay well.